Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Thanks for joining me for another episode. thought we would talk about uh, tools that we can use to help us um, change our money behaviors. And this isn't something I've totally talked about um, before in any podcast. I, I may have mentioned uh, some of these in, tools in passing. And I, th- I thought it'd be helpful at least to just reference these. I'm not sure that devoting a whole podcast each tool would be helpful because I think typically we listen to podcasts when we're on the go rather than sitting down and ready to to do some uh, further self-examination but I don't know you can let me know when uh, when you've heard all this so I think what's important to reiterate are that problematic money behaviors are never about the money. If you've listened to too many of these podcasts or read my column, you've seen me mention this over and over and over again. So what does that mean? It means that the money is symptomatic of something else. Now, does that mean that money behaviors Uh, can't be changed cognitively, and it doesn't. Uh, Changing money behaviors can very easily happen with more information. But again, I have said uh, repeatedly that probably 80% of our inability to change a a problematic, a, a harmful money behavior is much more emotional, much more subconscious, much more locked into the DNA, uh, the financial DNA of ourselves. That just saying, oh, I need to do this, or, oh, I've got some information, I'll change, doesn't happen. Reminds me of the play, I think it's, uh, I love you, you're perfect, now change. (laughs) Doesn't happen that easy. Um, so let's let's take an example of this. Let's just take the example of making a regular contribution to a retirement plan. Now, some folks um, haven't heard of a retirement plan, and that will grab their interest. Like, what? There's a retirement plans? Yeah, the government has approved all sorts of plans with tax advantages uh, that you can take advantage of to save for retirement. This person might uh, respond well to the idea of what you need to do is set up automatic monthly withdrawals, maybe out of your uh, checking account, 
uh, they might say, wow, I didn't know you could do that, never heard of it, never thought of it. I will pick up the phone right now, call my bank, and get that set up. Of course, you have to set up the retirement plan too. But just the information helps them go into action. And what I'm suggesting is this is probably only 20% of people. I have no scientific research data to support that. That's just my off-the-cuff observation. And for most people, though, this doesn't help. More information just doesn't help. There's all sorts of uh, unlimited really good reasons that can surface like, ah, oh, I don't think contributing to a retirement plan is a good idea. Setting it up is just too complicated. I really don't understand this. Oh, I'll get to it. I just, things are so busy right now. I just don't have the time. I can't set up a monthly withdrawal because I never know from month to month how much money that I'm going to need. Um, I don't have the number to the bank. Um, I got online, but it was really confusing how to do this. Check back with me three months from now when things are, are have calmed down. I mean, it just goes on and on. Rarely... <laughs> we say, you know, I'm really resistant to that idea. <laughs> I just don't want to do that. I want to spend the money instead. <laughs> Some, sometimes you might get the, the person that's really in touch with themselves, but uh, typically it's, it's not uh, that. So you can probably imagine when someone calls me for help, and they've done this or they've tried to or they're like what ideas do you have that might work and i uh, really struggle with that just like i i struggle when a reporter will call and say what are the three things you can do to go into action around setting up a retirement plan well the the steps are are uh, obvious. Uh, it, it's probably worse when they say, what do you do if you just haven't been able to, <laughs> to follow those three, three steps and go into action about setting up a retirement plan? And, and typically I explain, well, the solution isn't in knowing inform more information. The solution is in understanding the emotional baggage that underlies that behavior. Understanding the stories, understanding your emotional history, understanding the beliefs. So the best thing to do is probably call a financial therapist. And that's typically when the phone goes silent. Um, therapist is a really bad term and it means a lot of things to a lot of people very few of which are usually positive. Uh, usually there's a message that, oh, therapist. Uh, if I go to a therapist, that means I'm really messed up. I'm not normal. <clears throat> a lot of shame. 
and guilt. Now, less less so these days than a couple decades ago, but that that is still still there. So it and when I'm doing a, an interview, it just seems like a cop out to say, "Well, <laughs> call a financial therapist." It it goes deep. Uh, they're not interested in that. Uh, most people aren't interested in that. So, what can you do? What what can you do? So I thought maybe I what I could do is share a few thoughts and some tools from a financial therapist toolkit that could help start the process of changing these hurtful financial behaviors. And these are tools or exercises that you can do on your own. And maybe they will help with changing a behavior. Uh, they certainly ought to help raising an awareness. They're certainly most effectively used in a financial therapeutic relationship. But I, I thought I'd lay some of these out, if that might be helpful to, uh, to some of you. So I think the first thing before we get to these tools and under, to, to understand is that changing a uh, hurtful financial behavior is not something you want to continue to strong arm. And I say continue because undoubtedly you have tried to uh, will yourself, white knuckle yourself, should yourself, ought yourself, shame yourself into changing whatever the behavior is that's causing you the problem. This is natural. This is normal. In fact, many financial professionals, many mental health professionals will employ various techniques to help uh, strong arm the quote shortcoming. It's no secret that I am in a 12 step group and have been for, oh, I think three and a half decades, a long time. And I wrote about it in my first book. And I was looking at one of the, the uh, 12 steps the other day that talked about shortcomings. And I, I think that's uh, part of the culture that says that there are a pro parts of us that are problems that we need to get rid of, shortcomings. Uh, rather than understand why those parts of us exist and a little bit about their story and understanding, here's the key, understanding these quote shortcomings have good intentions and we really need to understand the good intention behind the behavior that today is problematic. That behavior 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago may have um, in some in some regards saved our life. So using a criticizing ourselves, criticizing that behavior, that part of us 
that doesn't want to save, that wants to spend, whatever it is, is not going to ultimately be really helpful. Uh, it's going to need the true uh, buy-in of that part of us, which probably is going to require us to really do some work in understanding that. So, you know, if you've ever said anything like, well, there's a part of me that wants to shop, or, or and there's a part of me that wants to save, there's a part of me that uh, enjoys this behavior, there's a part of me that hates this behavior, that's a huge first step is to even getting to the place where you can say, you know, there's a part of me that really does enjoy this because we have built up so much shame around even being able to admit that or to say that. So my point is, it's useless to shame or criticize or fight with the part, with the behavior that appears to be the problem. <clears throat> the goal isn't to get rid of the part with the problematic behavior or force it or strong arm it or manipulate it into changing. Uh, we need to put into action what um, I remember uh, Ted Klontz and I were on the way to see a client and he came out with one of the most profound statements that has stayed with me for years and years and years. And that was that every seemingly illogical financial behavior makes perfect sense when we discover the underlying belief held by the part that drives that. <clears throat> he didn't say the part, but uh, when we understand the underlying beliefs and thoughts and feelings, I say today by the part of us that, uh, <clears throat> that holds those. So, when we've tried everything cognitively you can think of to change your behavior and it's not changing, I think the next step then, which could be going to see a financial therapist, is to become aware of those uh, beliefs, those stories, those thoughts, those feelings that are held by us. So, one of the places I like to start first is with the uh, KMSI-R, which is the Klontz Money Script Inventory. This is, I think it's a 32-question inventory. I believe I talked about this in podcast number 8. It sticks in my mind. When I talked about money scripts, so you might want to review the podcast on money scripts. <coughs> which uh, these are um, thoughts, beliefs that we have about money that operate 24-7 and typically uh, each of us have 50 to 200 of these. So finding out what we really believe about money can be incredibly helpful. And the KMSI is a clinically, I want to say, approved studied, tested uh, analysis that will help you classify most of your money scripts into four categories. And I've recently gone through each one of those categories, so we won't do that uh, again. 
So that's a great place to start. But sometimes that'll that could change your life. <clears throat> but typically there's more that's needed. Another thing that um, I use, I use in my financial planning and financial therapy practice, something called the money egg. The money egg came from uh, something called the trauma egg. And uh, we adapted that. And basically, it's drawing your story around money. I, in the early days of life planning, we would typically interview a client about their money history. And I remember the first time that I was interviewed about my money history. And I have a, a part that really dissociated me. And when something like that came up, it's just kind of like uh, when the old TV set would, you know, the, the, the station would sign off for the night. You get all the fuzz, right? Static. I would kind of go into that. And so because I was unprepared for it, I needed uh, some time to think. Uh, I was surprised, you know, parts of me were concerned I'm not going to get the right answer. Of course, <laughs> I didn't get any answer. So there, there is um, a technique, I guess it's a therapeutic technique of <clears throat> drawing, and you make a egg on a piece of paper and you start at the bottom and you, you draw little symbols to represent your uh, uh, positive and negative things that happen in your life around money. There's a lot of instructions around this. I won't go into all of them here. Um, if you're interested in learning more about this, you can. Um, they're all in facilitating financial health, which is a uh, book that I co-authored with uh, Clonces that give detailed instructions. Like I said, maybe it's something for a future podcast to go into these. Another one, once you do the money egg, there's the Dow Jones money timeline. And you just basically take all of these events that you can remember in your life, positive and negative, about money. You have a baseline, right? And you just put them, if they were a negative or a positive, and how, how negative were they, how positive were they on a continuum, like maybe on a 1 to 10 scale. And then you put them chronologically in order and you kind of start getting a trend line of your money history especially the the positives and the negatives and and the low lows and the high highs another one that we use a lot is the money atom this was called the family atom and it is a i call it a 2d hologram no I'll think of it in a minute. But it, it's a 2D geniogram. That was it. Um, showing uh, how he, your family, your family members, uh, showing them in relationship to you. So rather than being the very pretty um, graph that the typical geniogram looks like, all these people are scattered all about in relation to you, you're, you're in the center, typically. 
and how close to you were they, how far away from you were they, how big or small were they in relationship to you. It, it just gives a lot of insightful data. It's, it's typically best to work with somebody to, to help kind of go through this and interpret this. But, and you can draw in all sorts of um, outside forces like alcoholism or workaholism or religiosity or things like this. Put those in relationship to all the people and then how, did, how the money flowed. So that can be very helpful in starting to understand what, what was the relationship with money? How did money work? How did money flow? What were, what were the dynamics of money in your uh, family of origin? So the money ache is for telling your story uh, about money. <clears throat> the money atom is looking at your family. Some other things that can help, uh, there's a life aspiration tool where you do a little uh, dreaming and you test what's really important to you. What do you aspire to, which is not a goal, an aspiration is never, you never know when that has been met. But goals support aspirations, so it's really helpful to separate those two because a lot of people say goals don't work for me. It's usually when you have an aspiration and it's kind of open-ended. There's never closure on it. And when you get a set of really authentic goals by doing this exercise, you test them into how ready are you, how confident are you, and how important are these. And there's a way of selecting those goals that are really most likely to, uh, to happen or for you to go into to action around. There's an incompletion exercise that can be really helpful in looking at areas where our energy is just leaking out and incompletion in our life. Uh, my coach once said it's, a, it's a, a loop that isn't closed and so it's like a, a hose that doesn't have a cap on it. Uh, so that can be very helpful. And also uh, something that a lot of people have enjoyed is a dialogue with money where you just uh, pretend, imagine that money is sitting across from you and, and you say what you want to say to money, open the conversation. Then you put yourself into money's place, you become money and you answer the question or respond to what was just said. And then you flip and then as yourself you respond to what was said and then you flip and respond to what you said. And this is a, it's a form of, uh, it was the gestalt, uh, the empty chair exercise. And this can be incredibly insightful if you just stay with that going back and forth, back and forth, and really drilling down. So these are some of the tools that uh, you can uh, employ for yourself, do for yourself. I highly recommend them. And they can bring some uh, very nice awareness. But once we're aware, we really need to take a second step and start building relationships with those parts of us that may hold these beliefs. A non-judgmental curiosity 
And as we explore those uh, parts of us that hold these beliefs that we've un encountered, that hold these hurts, that hold these emotional woundings, we can begin to understand that they all have good intentions and that they all really have our best interests at heart. So that's a little bit about how a financial therapist can start to uh, dig into the emotional uh, uh, baggage that we may carry. And a dig in isn't a good word because that might uh, kind of has a connotation of force or maybe going someplace they're, they're not wanted. But it's uh, a way that we can begin to dig deeper. Let's let's put it that way. And you are the one who would be digging deeper uh, because of your curiosity. So this this is a great great way to start. Unfortunately, it's not a quick fix. There are no quick fixes that I know of in uh, healing our money behaviors in helping uh, build a financial well-being in our life. But um, um, it is a, it's a path, it's a journey. And as we go along that journey, we start to begin to see things getting better and uh, new behaviors forming and uh, a greater sense of well-being um, presenting itself to us. So, I uh, hope this has been helpful to you and if for any reason you think it would be helpful to take some of these tools and go into them more in depth, I would be happy to consider that. Alright, take care and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.